So thanks for being with us this morning. If this is your first time here uh, in 360, uh, we're going through a, a series called The Art of Practice. And this is talking about the different aspects of those kind of tenets of our faith, those key things that we do as believers. And uh, this morning, we're going to talk about gathering. And now if you've paid attention, I've talked about gratitude, grace, and gathering. So these are the three most important G's you need to know, and uh, I, I don't think I have any other things on topic that starts with G, at least that I'm aware of. But it was kind of funny to see that this morning. But to talk about gathering, some of you are probably already thinking, well, we're here, Rob. What else is there? Uh, th that's it. Congratulations. You've all done well. Everybody gets a gold star. You've accomplished this art of practice, and we can all go ahead and go home. Uh, but gathering actually brings out a little bit more than that, and I'm excited to kind of walk through this today. And, you know, being an extrovert by nature, the idea of gathering and being together in a group of people has never been hard for me in any capacity whatsoever. Uh, to me, you, you know, to have a group of people just like, well, of course, why wouldn't we? And how can I get in the middle of all of them? How can they all look at me and talk to me? And, and I can be the center of everyone's attention. Like this, this, is, this was my purpose in life and my plan all along. And I've always been drawn to those groups. I've always been, you know, people have always asked me like, are you nervous when you go on stage? And I'm like, no. No, this is fantastic. I mean, I could be, you know, this, this, is, this is what I've been driven for. My parents have horror stories of like trying to pull me off stage if ever I was doing something when I was younger. And the, my first real experience in a massive group gathering um, before Christian conferences, and think, Christian conferences and things were taking place like every weekend, they, there were limited engagements. And so growing up, there was this mega youth conference called DC 94 that was taking place. And yes, it was in 1994. And this was, there was one that took place in Washington, DC and one that took place in LA. And this was like the culmination of everything in my teenage life. You had Christian speakers and yes, well, Dean, easy there. Uh, you had I'll tell you about it later. Uh, you, they had Christian speakers. There were Christian artists like Michael W. Smith and Stephen Curtis Chapman and Amy Grant were all going to be in the same place. I mean, the second coming was imminent if all of these people had gathered together. But on top of it, there were going to be thousands of young people in one location. This mega huge gathering. And so for 13-year-old Rob... This was it. I mean, I still remember when we walked to the convention center, you open up the back of this massive room and there's all these people in there and I was caught up in like euphoria. I mean, it, it, I, it, this was my own personal drug of choice because there's all these people there and I have to meet all of them. I mean, we're, we're gathered together. This is the body of Christ. I need to know them all personally. And the, but the, on top of it as well of just having so many people in one place for so many, like we're all on the same page, it's all for the same reason. The other thing that was really inspiring to me was, of course, having all of these concerts. And one of the days of the conference, we were all going out to the National Mall there in Washington, D.C., and we were having an open-air conference and concert all at the same time. And I actually, I went and looked it up and they said there were like 200,000 uh, young people that were there. And that night is when Stephen Curtis Chapman and Petra were playing on the same stage. 
So needless to say, once we'd gotten through this night, I was done with life. I just could quit like altogether. This is what I lived for. And for whatever reason, this day of all days, when we're out in the open, 200,000 people, this is when I felt I needed to get to the front of the stage. I needed to be there just in case John Schlitt, the lead singer of Petra, stumbled over a song and he's like, sorry guys, I can't do this. Is Rob Chestnut in the audience? I think he can help fill in for me. He can cover. And, you know, and I knew this was going to happen. I needed to be ready. So in my um, uh, genius, if you will, I actually left my group of 12 and just headed into this sea of humanity and began to work my way to the front. You know, excuse me, excuse me. You know that guy at concerts? Excuse me, sorry, excuse me, sorry, excuse me. No one likes that person. I became that person. But I arrived. I got to the front of the stage, never thinking, how am I going to get back? How am I going to find my youth group, actually, after this takes place? But it didn't matter, you know, because I was there. I was caught up in the moment. I was in the midst of the gathering, and this was the greatest thing in the world to me. And I feel a true miracle of God was he made me have to go to the bathroom. So I had to get out of there, uh, much to my dismay, and then I made it all the way back. And my leaders, thankfully, one of them was waiting by the facilities because they figured the kid drinks 70 gallons of Coke a day. He's going to come back here at some point in time. Uh, So they found me, and they lovingly reminded me what a terrible idea that was and how absolutely stupid that was. And do you have any idea what your parents would do to you if we told them, et cetera, et cetera? And they reminded me of what a bad idea. And But for me, that aspect of being in the gathering and being with a large group of people, it just, it draws me in. But I think it does something to us as believers as well. I can see it on a lot of your faces right now. The idea of being together in this place is enriching. It does something for us. And it's this really incredible aspect of Christianity that I, I, I really love. And over this last week of being able to put this together was very enlightening for me as well. And so today as we talk about gathering, I, I, I want to look at some, some key aspects of it in particular. And the three main things I was able to draw out was this idea of unity, an idea of worship, and then also of, of edifying, of building each other up. And we see this taking place within a gathering itself. So if you want, we're going to start in John 17, verses 20 through 23, and this is the, the, this first call of unity comes from Jesus in what's known as the high priestly prayer, and he says this, <clears throat> I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. What's amazing about this passage is that Jesus is actually talking and praying for us. Us right now in this room. Because you see it right there in the first part of the passage. I do not ask only for these, but also, and when he's saying these, he's talking about the disciples, the ones that are right in front of him. Not only for these, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. So this is passed down. This is continued on as word has spread throughout the ends of the earth and made its way thousands of years later to us. 
Jesus is praying for us that we may believe, that we may become a part of this. And, and, and it, it, this was one of those moments that just kind of dawned on me this past week that this idea of being together in a group, in a collective for the sake of the body is something that has been going on for thousands of years. I think growing up in the church, I just kind of, you know, fall under the, well, you know, we, we go to church because we always go to church. You know, I, I did it and my parents did it and, you know, I'm sure other people did it as well. But to think, to really step back and say, for thousands of years, year in, year out, this has gone back and we can trace it all the way back to the disciples and Jesus there in this beginning. This is what it goes back to. We are modeling, we are continuing what they set in front of us. And that's just kind of a wild thing that we've managed to maintain this for so long, this idea of being together. And I hope that encourages you as it encourages me. I think I, I just lose sight of it sometimes. I think, well, you know, it's just church. It's just church. But no, it, its roots go a lot deeper than that. But this one that he is talking about in, in the passage, he's talking about that they may be one. This is this idea of unity in the body. But this unity in particular is not so much so that we all get along and we all enjoy each other, but actually this unity is for the world to see. The point of us being together and gathering together in this place is to set an example for those who are outside of these walls, those who don't come into this place. Because the reality is, as we think about just the, the dynamic of unity in general, th this is not a common theme that is thrown around in this modern age. In fact, I think the only time we're hearing people talk about unity is when it's in the form of not unified. You know, this country is so not unified. No, no one is working together. Everyone's just kind of in their own individual lane. So an idea of unity is something that I think people strive for but is not common. It's not, we don't see it on a regular basis. And, you know, but he, here's the thing about the church that's a little crazy though. So that we are all unified together as a body. We are gathering together in order to set the example for the world because look at us. Who makes up this church? Only the wealthy and the affluent who have status in society? No. In fact, okay, so maybe it's just the, it's the low of the lows. It's the nobodies. Well, no, that, that's not it either. Okay, well, maybe it's just a, a happy little middle ground. Do we have those people? No. Actually, we have all of those people. We have people in this church, even here right now, who come from all walk of life. We have doctors. We have lawyers. We have basic household cleaners. We have people who work for the county. We have all different ups and downs, socioeconomic standards, uh, levels of education, life experiences, people who have come to Jesus in the last years and people who have been following Jesus their entire life. And yet we are all here together. And the thing that unites us collectively is that one thing. It's that life in Christ. It is the gospel that connects us. It is not the system that we fall into and society today is going to tell you that you can't hang out with these people. You can't, you know, you don't mix and match. I mean, we see it even in work, you know, or even with our friends. You have, you know, you have those friends and then you have these friends. But, you know, if these friends and those friends got together, it's like, oh, I don't want to mix them. 
Oh, because then, you know, we'd have to talk about, oh, I don't even know what we'd have to talk about. But, you know, we, we keep people in separate areas. And that's the same way. I remember when I used to work for the county, it was like, you know, we're communications. And we don't deal with the librarians. We just keep them off in their own little thing. They're all wild. Yes, I have a few county people in here who are giggling because they know it's true. It's true. But there were these groups. It's like, oh, I have to go to public works today. Good luck, Godspeed. If you can get out of there in time, you'll be a blessed man. But we have these divisions. We have these automatic caste systems that I think we fall into. But the church says we don't care about those things. We're not concerned with those things. That's not the reason why we're here. And so to the outside world, that's bizarre. That's strange. That doesn't make any sense. So I don't know if you've recognized this, everybody, but today, just by coming here right now, you are setting an example to the world around you. Good job. Another gold star for everybody. You're doing, you're doing really well for showing up this morning. But I don't know if anybody woke up and said, I am going to be a witness to the outside world by going to church. I don't think that falls in our thinking, but this is what Jesus had us do. This is why he encouraged us to be together, to unify as a body, to show that there's nothing in this room that is more important or more powerful or more status-giving or anything else than the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is the thing that is going to unite everybody in here. And we say, we're going to overlook all of those different pieces because this is why we are together. And that is so counter to society today because we are coming together and saying, I'm going to put myself aside for the betterment of everybody else in this room. And yet society says the individual is the most important. And so if the individual is the most important, what happens about the other individual? Well, they're also the most important. So if everyone is the most important, then who is wrong? No one. And who is right? No one. And everyone at the same, this doesn't make any sense. So we are in the midst of a societal shift. This is that post-postmodern mentality of every individual is better than any other because we have to acknowledge that part. And yet we come together and say, actually... I'm more concerned with my neighbor than I am with myself. And this doesn't make any sense to a lot of people. This is why church seems bizarre on so many different fronts. But uh, Jesus, even himself, he said, our example is going to set not only that and we may be unified, but if you look at it in Matthew 5, it says this, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So this is that outward focus of being together. This is that outward uh, display, if you will, of us being unified and the world takes notice because this is a strange thing that takes place within these walls. But what about the dynamics of within these walls themselves for us as a body? And that's where that area of worship comes in. And I, I, 
I think I'm going to highlight a little bit more that aspect of, of music and how it plays into us in the gathering. But worship truly is everything that takes place within this time of being able to sing, of, of fellowship, of listening, of responding, of praying. That's the full aspect of worship when we're talking about worship. But I want to highlight what it is from that musical standpoint because this is also something that's very different but very particular. Now, along as I mentioned, um, you know, back at DC 94 and 13-year-old Rob being caught up in the midst of the musical experiences, that has not changed for me. That maintains still through to this day. And if you get the privilege of going to a concert with me, and yes, it is a privilege, you will know very quickly if it's a band or a musical group that I particularly love and admire and am fascinated with, I will be incredibly obnoxious at the concert. <laughs> Absolutely. Audrey has hours of video of me. You know, I am that guy 15 rows back who is screaming at the top of his lungs when that one or two key songs come on. And it's true. I mean, it, this is, this is, it's a horrific combination of singing in the shower, driving to work by yourself, and karaoke gone wrong. This, this is what's taking place within me at that moment. And it is a full-throated, like, all the way. I mean, I'm putting everything into it. And Audrey can attest, she has multiple videos. I did not bring them this morning because... You need to save some things for, you know, other, I can't use all my material in my only, you know, four talks. So, but I mean, she, she's, she's filming the band as they play, and then she just ever so slowly pans over to the psychopath sitting next to her who is losing his mind during Billy Joel and Elton John. And yes, it was so worth it, okay? <laughs> I mean, both of them together at the same, it was like three and a half hours of just euphoria. I mean, I, and, and she can attest to, we'll leave concerts and I'm like floating. I, I just, I don't know what to do with myself. I need to, I, I, I need to just run around the stadium a couple times to get it out of my system. I love a good concert. I just, I, I just absorb it all in and I'm caught up in the experience. And it's really that music, that aspect of music in particular that does something to my soul. I mean, it just hits those points and you're like, I can't help but get up and sing. I mean, it's, it's overwhelming to me at times. Um, and that's the beauty, I think, of music as a whole. You see what God has created, how it just touches those key points within us. And in, uh, in Colossians 3.16, he says this, uh, he says, let, Paul is talking, he says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your heart to God. And we see it again in the, Old, in the New Testament in multiple occasions of Christ and his disciples. It says they sang a hymn and they went out and they left. And so again, in that same mode of thinking about we are gathering just as Jesus and his disciples gathered, we are singing just as Jesus and his disciples sang together. This aspect of music, again, has continued on throughout the generations. And yes, it's changed. It's gone through many iterations. And I do genuinely wonder, like, what were those early hymns like that they sang. I mean, we know the awkwardness of when there's no capable musicians around, and it's like, hey, why don't we sing in this collective a cappella? 
A mighty fortress is our God. And then, you know, everyone kind of catches it after two or three. Like, I wonder what those moments were when they would sing together. What did those early hymns sound like? I'm kind of drawn to that. And again, that idea of worship, I actually asked Clay, our, uh, our worship pastor and our high school pastor, for his perspective on it. And just as, as he sees it, and he prepares and kind of builds out the different uh, um, collections, as we say, week in and week out. And he said, worship, I, I had to paraphrase it. I wish I would have written it down exactly as he said it, because it was just an incredible thing. But essentially, he says, worship is so bizarre, because we are coming to God with all of our hurts or all of our joys, all of the good, all of the bad, anything that is on the outside, we are bringing it here to the inside and we're giving it all to him regardless. There is no people who are we're only singing because things have been going well. We're only singing because we've been having a great week, or we're only praising because we got that thing that we absolutely wanted. No, people come and they praise God because of sadness, because of sorrow, in difficulty. And in the same way of that idea of the gathering, creating a unity so that the world may see a gathering for a place of worship in any different level of where you might be is also so bizarre. He said, it's not typical, but that idea that God wants all of our stuff, no matter what level it might be on, because he wants us to respond to him. And have you, have you been next to someone, have you been able to sit next to someone who is worshiping through a place of sorrow, who is worshiping in a place of hurt, who is worshiping in a place of feeling that everything is going terrible? It's an incredible thing to sit next to someone who has gone through this like a, a tragedy or a difficulty and yet they sing in a way or they reach into that place and say, God, thank you for what is happening. And they, it just hits a different tone. We, we worked with a guy for a number of years. Uh, his name was Nick Fletcher and he was a missionary up in Estonia. And Nick is the worst singer I have ever heard in my entire life. I mean, it's truly something to behold. And you, you know, you'd know when people sat near him for the first time because you get that like slowly kind of, I'm going to look behind me, but I don't want to be so obvious about it. So it's like that, gee, what time is it? Oh my goodness, what is happening back there? But Nick, Nick worshiped like nobody else I'd come in contact with. And when Nick was, when he would just sing he would just pour it out and you knew when he was worshiping because it would hit these notes and go to these places and everything that says this is good is going uh-uh, but it was beautiful and you got caught up in it and you would listen to where it was coming from because it was a genuine place. And when you're in the midst of this gathering, when you're in the midst of this meeting, this place together, worship takes on a whole new dynamic like I can sing in my car all I want, but when I'm singing with God's people, it does something different to me. And I have key memories and key moments that are tied to a song and a place and a gathering of God's people. I, I was, one of them in particular, I will always remember, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, Jackson, Mississippi, Christmas of 2004. 
because I had been out of the country for a couple of years and they didn't sing Christmas songs regularly like in the Czech Republic and to suddenly be in a place again of believers and to sing something that I had sung a million times over. But there was a difference this time. And every, every time since then I sing it, I can see it all in my mind and it just, it burns itself into my memory. And this is the beauty of worship, I feel, because it gives us something different and it, it creates something, that connection to God when we are together in the midst of people. And we see it if you've been able to go on a mission trip to a different country, you're in a location and people begin to sing in a language you don't know, in words you don't even remotely understand, and yet, what is it like? You just get caught up. It's beautiful. Even as dull and as dreary as it might sound in that moment, it's like, wow, listen to this. This is the beauty of worship in the body. In fact, I, I, I did a little bit of a scientific explanation and research, and it said that uh, researchers have described several mechanisms through which music impacts our ability to connect to one another by impacting brain circuits involved in empathy, trust, and cooperation, perhaps explaining how it has survived in every culture of the world. And again, something else to think about. Every culture in the world has a history of collective song together because it does something when you're in the midst of a gathering, and yet for us as believers to worship God, it clicks into something else. One of my favorite things being back in the United States is actually watching all of you on a Sunday morning. There are too many times, and so maybe you look and like, wow, Rob does not like singing. That is not the case. Uh, but I, I love to listen to you respond to a song. I love to watch one hand go up, and then two, and then three, and then people are standing, and then they're just, you feel that whole shift just happen in the room. And like we sung today, in that change the atmosphere. You can experience that as a body, and that for me, I just, I breathe it in, I go, wow, this is God's church. This is why we gather together, and it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. And it's, it's an incredible part to be in the midst of this as well because it just, I, I feel it triggers different emotions. Like I said, you can sing in your car, but when you're singing with a bunch of people, it's a different environment. Uh, Bono, the lead singer of U2, says he hates sound checks because when you do a sound check, you're in this massive empty arena and it's me and the three other guys on stage. And he says, I can't hit the notes that I want to hit because I don't have anybody with me. He says he tries as best he can, but he can't do it. But when the audience is there, when the gathering is taking place, that's when he steps in and he's really able to go to those places. And I think the same is true for us. It's a beautiful thing about worship in the gathering. And along with not only being able to worship together, but we are able to edify and build each other up by being in this place, by gathering as a body. You'll see it in Hebrews 10. 24 and 25, it says this. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. That line is very interesting to me. Consider how to stir up one another. I don't know if you have been stirred up this week, 
or if you've stirred somebody else up, I don't think it's a common part of our vocabulary, at least in a, in a positive sense. Maybe you've been stirred up and you've been bothered by something, but you have been stirred up to actually go do something about it. And I, I like that idea of this is the church who would, you know, being together is something that is going to stir us up. And I hate to break it to some people, though, but in the midst of prepping for this sermon, uh, I found no verses that said, loner Christianity is okay. If you just want to, if you be you, and you say, you know what, I don't need church, I'm good on my own, I can make it, I can handle it, I'm sorry, it doesn't exist. You cannot find it anywhere in scripture. There's nothing to back that up. It's constantly referring to we need to be together because we are able to build each other up by being in the same place, by having that life-on-life experience, as we like to call it. And this is what, you know, that, that famous line in Proverbs, Proverbs 27, 17, iron sharpens iron and one man sharpens another. I can speak for hours, definitely, of those car trips that we had as JJ and I would drive around the Czech Republic, and we sharpened each other and built our relationship with each other because we're in this place, because we're going deeper than just keeping it on a surface level because we're gathering, we're being together, more so than if I just drove around myself and said, you know what, I'll just, I'll figure it out on my own. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll listen to a podcast or something and that should be enough for me. No, you, we need that church. We need that collective. We need to be together in order to truly achieve what Christ is praying for, that idea of unity, but that idea of unity is going to require us being in that place. I mean, our, our, Mar, our, our vision statement, everything right here, pressing beyond ordinary relationships to reach extraordinary kingdom results. You're not going to be able to do that on your own. You're not going to be able to do that as an individual. You're not going to be able to press yourself beyond ordinary relationships because that's not a relationship. Me, myself, and I is only going to get you so far. We need to be together. We need to be in the collective. We need to be gathered in a place in order to reach that point, in order to go a little bit deeper. You know, for, for us, and it's incredible as to be a part of a church and to experience that, to be edified and built up. When we left um, the mission field and came back, you know, we were so blessed by you as a church of what you had done for us people we knew and people we didn't know who had gone out of their way to help, to prep, to give, to do so many different things that we were floored. It was such a blessing to us. And we told other people what our church was doing and they were going like, whoa, wait, they did what? Man. And this is other Christians who were saying this, other believers who were shocked and they were encouraged. And I mean, I, I'm sure if Audrey and I had the rest of the day, we could get up and just talk about how these last six months for us have been so blessed by our church body who builds us up in this process. And if I were to able to just like stand aside, set up a mic and say, who else has a story? Who else has a piece of encouragement that you've experienced by being here in 360? We'd get that standard response. Nobody would move for like two to three minutes. Everybody would just kind of, you know, look left, look right, 
I wonder who's going to go first. I think he's going to go first. I think Dean's going to go first. Dean will go first. Let Dean go first, and then I'll say something. But, you know, we're going we're gonna to wait. But then once somebody gets up and says something, I feel the line would go back out the door and keep on going, and we'd be here all day, all week, all month, who knows how long, hearing what this church, what this gathering has been able to do to edify us. And the crazy part about it is, as you get to listen to the stories of others who have been blessed, who have been impacted, even if you had nothing to do with it, if you had no part in that story whatsoever, hearing that story is going to impact you, is going to edify you and build you up. And this is the beautiful thing. For some of you, you had no part in going to the Dominican Republic whatsoever, except maybe you prayed, and yet you're a part of that. And that story builds you up. That news builds you up and edifies you to say, look what the church is doing in other parts of the world. Wow, what a dynamic we get to be a part of. Now, maybe some of you, though, are sitting there and you're saying, okay, um, I haven't really gotten that. I haven't really experienced that whole edification piece. And I would go as far to ask you then, okay, well, but what are you doing? Are you willing to make yourself vulnerable and put yourself out there because there's too often people come to a church, they say, what am I going to get? If I don't get anything out of it, we'll move on down the road. We'll move on to the next one. And I'd say, actually, the difference in this church where we are is that people are genuinely willing to say, if you need something, put yourself out there. I will help. I'm willing to be a part of it. If you look at the seat pocket in front of you, you'll see that connect card, but you'll also see this little envelope that says row four. And this is a crazy thing. This is an incredible thing we do here at 360. It's two sides, haves and needs. And what it is is saying, okay, I have something to offer. I've walked a road. I have a skill. Maybe I've done something before. I can help you with it. And then there's other people in here who can write, I have a need. I, I have a problem. I don't know who to talk to. I don't know who to look to. And we as a church are collecting these things so that we can put them together and edify this body, edify this gathering together through our own church through our own people. That's a wild thing. And then, but wait, there's more. We also have our at groups, our small group ministry that allows you to say, okay, I'm a part of this. I come on Sunday mornings, but I, I want a little more time. I mean, I understand that when, you know, we say amen and it is mass exodus to the cars and get out. It's like the plague of rats opens up and people just split. And maybe you're saying, hey, I don't have the time to really meet and greet people like I want to. That's okay. We have at groups to try and go a little bit deeper. And then we go even deeper still. In fact, guys, Chris, can we throw up our, our logo of 360? I don't know if you guys are aware of this or not, but those three circles are very specific. They're very intentional. The biggest one, this is the gathering. This is the right now. This is where we are. And that middle, that mid-circle, that's, that's our small group ministry. And then our last one, that red circle, this is exchange. This is next. This is that one-to-one -one dynamic, that literal iron sharpening iron mentality that we are aiming for. And these different types of gatherings are what allow you to be built up and encouraged as a church. This is why we are here. This is why we meet together in this place. This is our map. It guides us where we want to go. And maybe you're just in the big one. We want to move you to the next one. 
And if you're in the middle one, we want to move you to that one as well and continue on the cycle. This is the beauty of gathering. This is why we do what we do here in 360. So how are we going to practice this church? How are we going to put this into practice? How are we going to gather? Well, I need you all to come to church on Sundays. Great job. Again, okay, there's your third gold star. Everybody's done really well today. Very impressed. But if you look at your weekly, we've got some extra things to help out with. And along with coming to church, which like I said, if you're here, great. If you're listening to the podcast, shame on you. But we want you to join an at group. Maybe you're not in an at group. We want you to be a part of that. And so you can email Jim Childs. He's our associate pastor. You can talk to Jim in the back. You can always find him. And he can tell you about what's available, how you can get plugged in or move to that next step. Or maybe you're already in an at group or you want to pursue exchange or next, our discipleship programs, email me. They're both on here. We'll meet, we'll talk about it, and we'll get you guys going. And then some other tangible things we want to practice, and this is what I'd love to see. Invite somebody from church over to your house, share a meal, and talk about what God is doing in your life. And maybe even do it to somebody that you don't really kind of know. Maybe somebody in your row who you see from week to week, but try and make those own connections. Reach out a little bit more for yourselves and see what you can find. And then lastly, we want to encourage you, invite somebody in. Take somebody from the world, bring them in here, and show them what this gathering is. Because they're hungry, they're looking for something else, and they say, wait, 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 you all meet together regardless of background or pay stub or education or anything else, and this is, wow, this is different. This is interesting. I want some of this. We are a light, a city on a hill. It cannot be hidden. So as we continue to meet, as you continue to encourage each other, remember the importance in this practice of gathering. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you again for this body. I thank you for this church, how we are able to meet together in unity, to overlook petty things, how we are able to worship together, to call out to your name, and how we are able to edify and build each other up. What a beautiful thing you've put in place through your church. Lord, may we care for it as we care for each other. May we reach in, reach out, and reach up in all the ways we possibly can. I thank you for this time. Go before us in the weeks ahead. In Jesus' name, amen.